Welcome to the Caribbean Property Investing Podcast, where we share real-life experiences for successful Caribbean property entrepreneurs. Learn about their successes, challenges, and strategies to help you create your plan for financial freedom. Now let's get started. Welcome to episode two of the Caribbean Property Investing Podcast. We want to thank everyone who downloaded our podcast, who watched on IG, on YouTube, on LinkedIn, you know, for that support, you know, for the first episode. Um, between the promo um, and episode one, we probably had something like uh, 13 to 14,000 views um, and the feedback has been phenomenal. We, we knew that there was an appetite uh, for this content because we are passionate about it, I am passionate about it, uh, but the response that we received was overwhelming um, from as far as the Bahamas uh, north and as far south as Grenada. Interestingly, the idea for the second episode was around uh, a couple getting one mortgage at a time, building a house, living in it, then selling it and doing the process over and over again. But we got some feedback from a professional woman who said, you know, express a valid opinion uh, that, you know, not many people can get a partner, uh, not even a relative or a friend, you know, to, to come together to invest in property. And she really wanted us to start almost at the beginning. What's the simplest form our simplest way you can get into property investing, uh, probably most affordable as well. And so today um, on this show, we have a good friend of mine who inspired me, who impressed me uh, with his commitment, his passion, his discipline, um, and his area in property investing specialization so far was land development. Um, you're going to hear a lot more about his story. And without further ado, again, let me introduce to you, Virgil Henry. Virgil, welcome to the podcast. Uh, Anton, thanks for having me. I uh, appreciate being brought on here. Hopefully what I can share can uh, influence some people and help change lives. So Virgil, sorry. Um, tell us about yourself, a little, a little of your background. Um, okay, well, you know me from Hess, obviously. You're my teacher at Hess. Um, oh, you're very hard on us in basketball. Well, it's the truth. Um, I went to Hess and then I, I did pretty well at Hess and I went to the mall and I had no idea what I wanted to do with myself. Um, and for, for persons who don't know what Hess is, Hess is in St. Lucia, so probably my... Oh, sorry. I, I'm a solution. More precisely, I'm from Babylon. I'm a Babylonian. <laughs> but um, again, when I went to A-level, I just, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I chose random subjects, but I found it very difficult to focus on any particular one thing. Um, so I, I, I made it through, but when I finished with A-level, again, the ideas are like, where do you want to work? What kind of job do you want? And I struggled with that for a while because I truly did not know what I wanted to do. I hadn't thought about it, um, going through school. Um, so again, I struggled that for a while, but eventually I started realizing that I had a passion for entrepreneurial, um, things, essentially businesses. I tried my hands at a few things, some worked, a lot failed, but for each one, um, I had a good opportunity to learn a lesson and improve on the next um, challenge. But what were some of those things you tried? What were some of those things that you tried? Um, I tried working with uh, a, 
a friend of mine um, doing a computer parts and computer store business. Uh, it started off okay. Um, it was a struggle initially, but we started going okay. But then, as happened without proper contract, um, that didn't work out very well. Uh, we had a bumping of heads, and that completely fell on the wayside. So I took some time um, being a beach bum, essentially. I'd go by the beach Monday to Friday. And uh, eventually, uh, because of relationships, which are very important in life, I had a friend call me and say, hey, do you want to come help me with a project at Brydon's at the time? And I was like, Brydon's? I don't want to work at Brydon's. But it gave me a good opportunity to, to learn and to grow. And a year later, obviously, I, I moved on to digital. And the rest, as you know, probably is, is the history. So, what, what, what I know, so for the benefit of our, our, our regional international audience, so Brydon's is one of the largest, uh, uh, I guess, import distributors in the island. You know, so tell us about your, your time at, at Digital, some of the, the areas you worked in. Um, so, Digital for me was where I really grew up. I mean, I, I got to meet some people who were really interesting, really sharp minds. Some of them who, had, who, who to this day still have influence on my life in terms of, um, what I do as a, as a family man, obviously I'm a husband, a father, um, man of faith, that, that's most important to me. But at Digicel, um, it just kind of opened my mind up to, to the possibility that the world wasn't as, as far and as confined as I, I, I thought it was being in the island. That there are ways to gain wealth and to make wealth um, so that your family has a better level of living, but also that you can impact lives and help people. And that has also been very, very important to myself and my wife. So beyond just obviously the, the usual, what comes to telecoms, as you know, because you're also in there, selling handsets, uh, getting connections, there is the aspect of um, socializing and meeting people and influencing people's lives. And that, again, just opened me up to, hey, how can I be more useful to people beyond just uh, selling my handset? Um, can I help them improve their lives? And again, it, it, there's a lot I learned from digital, 17 years, in telecoms, there's a, there's a lot that um, I can't put all together in, in, in this podcast, obviously. And, and what what did that uh, desire of yours to to help people? What did that lead to? And how did you end up in the South Pacific? <laughs> all right. So the desire to help again. You mentioned in the first um, video, reading the book to reach that portal. One of my friends, Marvin, I think it was, and you probably mentioned around the same time, told me about reaching that portal, and I was like, I don't want to read a book, but. When I started reading the book, after the first probably five pages, I realized like, I gotta finish this book. And wow. it just changed my mind to the way I saw things. Um, it just made me realize I don't have to work hard because I had this concept from my, my grandparents and my parents that you, know, you gotta work hard. Now, they're very good teachers. My, my, to this day, I honor them for what they instilled in me. But I mean, the, the idea of working for 50 years to get a retirement um, package, a pension package, and then Try to, to enjoy life then rather than enjoy it as you go through life um, didn't quite fit well with me so the book just made me realize that there are ways of getting to enjoy life experience life now because every day I, I say every day is extra because no one's guaranteed to live till they're 50 or 60 and retire so when i after i read the book i was like okay this thing sounds interesting but i don't have enough money to get into land development i mean i grew up in a essentially a small family up in barbara um, that's in the countryside in the country um and i was like okay how do i go about doing this so my first idea was well one i'm going to need a house for myself and my mom has kind of driven into me you're a young man get a home so i found a really small view and 
was like, I'll take it. I'll build, you know, on pillars. I'll build downstairs eventually and rent it out. But the lady I was about to buy from, she passed away. Um, so I was like, okay, what do I do now? Kids contacted me and said, hey, we heard you interested in buying the land. I was like, yeah, I wanted to buy it. Like, like who contacted you? Who, who contacted you? Somebody else? They, the, the ladies, the ladies, her kids, because they had kids, okay. seen the documents, I guess, at the house. Okay. And I was like, yeah, I wanted to buy 7,000 square feet. They were like, no, well, it's four acres. We don't want to break it up. We want to sell the entire four acres. Wow. So I'm like, I can't afford four acres. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I struggled with it for about two, three weeks. And I was, was going to call him and say no. But I spoke to my dad about it. And thankfully, he's like, if you want it, I'll help you buy it. And I was like, okay. But he said, but you're paying the, the mortgage yourself. So I went with it anyway. My dad being on there helped me um, essentially have enough of uh, income for the banks to approve the loan. And when I got it, I started freaking out the, the very next day because I'm like, this, this mortgage payment is more than my salary. And oh my God. I remember. I remember I remember when you said um, you, you, you were buying land and initially just to sit on, you thought you liked, that's not a very good idea. So luckily I had been disciplined again by my mom to save. So while I was working at Digital, I was saving quite a bit. So I had money set aside. I was able to cover the loan for the first, I'd say, year and a half while you get all the planning approvals, um, looks like, you know, health, um, Ministry of Health, all the little things that it takes in the background that people don't know about to get this going. Stick up in well, one second. So, so you wanted seven thousand square feet of land. Uh, the, the 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 lady who passed away, her kids approached you and said, "Hey, we're not going to bring it up. We're going to sell you seven thousand. Sorry, sorry, four, sorry, four acres, four acres, four acres instead of seven thousand square feet of land." Um, in terms of the 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 multiple, you know, how much more? How many times more were, were the four acres compared to the seven thousand? Square for like five times more, six times more? More like seven. Okay. I mean, luckily, okay. Hold on, hold on, at, okay. A, at, a, at a decent price. Yeah. So now you know you have to you, you now have to pay, take a loan for seven times more what you originally wanted. Spoke to your, your dad, he said, yeah. okay, let's do it. Um, in essence, he was going to co-sign the loan and be your guarantor um, for your loan. My my mom yeah. actually co-signed co my, my student loan for me. Of course, you know, I, I didn't know what that meant. Um, and she made me feel like I was responsible. But later on, I realized that actually, you know, if 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 I end up paying a loan, the bank is going to go after her. But she tricked me. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. I you know I, I I felt responsible for that loan. Which which in fact you should. You, that's the right thing to do because it's for you. You are responsible for it. So now you have four acres of land. You you know nothing about development. So how did you know where to start? What, what to cut? How to cut it? To who to target? How did you go through that process? I was not. I was naive. I figured I could buy the land, just cut it up quick and sell it in a month. Right? Okay. So, so when I got it, um, luckily the, the, the real estate guy who sold it to me, um, just gave me some, some little guidelines. And again, being out there yourself and just having relationships, I was able to meet some people who were like, Hey, I'm doing a small project as well. These are the steps you need to follow. Contact this person at the Ministry of Infrastructure so you can get some guidelines. What I did not expect, obviously, was that the, the entire approval process, it probably took about a year and a half. Another one month that you, like that, you said. Another one month. No. So I saw my savings slowly start disappearing. I started freaking out. I was like, pretty soon I'm going to have no money in there. 
Um, but God is good. I mean, I just uh, I had faith that it was going to work out. I stuck with it. And um, after a year and a half, we got permission to sell five lots out of what we eventually became 20 lots. So, um, so did you cut all 20, 21 time or you, you did it in phases? No, at the time, because I didn't have access to funds, I worked with a real, uh, surveyor who just charged me for the first five and the road, cutting out the road. Um, planning was pretty good. They allowed me to sell the first five lots um, before I put the infrastructure in. So I used those funds to, to get the road in and um, get the water. Um, and essentially everything that was, was required, drainage and stuff like that, to get the rest released for sale. Yeah, but, but, but right. what I'm thinking of was when you, you said, okay, you wanted that 7,000 square feet, and you said, no, you can get four acres. Did you, did you think about, you know, your target market? Who are you going to sell to? What price you're going to sell it? What's the competing prices in the area in, in the area around you? I did. Okay, so because I'm from the country, right, I was hearing this whispers about prices in the north, you know, $18, $20 of coffee state, and I'm like, there's no way any of the people I grew up with can afford that that land. So okay. I, I bought land pretty close to home, and I was like, if I can get the land cut and keep it to ten to twelve dollars, which is my target, then I could um, get my friends who I know are going to need a home um, pretty soon, and people in, in that same that low to middle income range initially um, to get own a piece of, piece of land. So. When I got to go, and the very first piece I sold actually was to a very good friend of mine. And I mean, I won't say the price that he picked for it, but he got a steal out of it because I wanted to see him and his family have access to property. So beyond making um, the money to help my family and stuff, I believe that you can also help people as well sometimes with the project that you do. So for me, that was very, very important. And um, I knew that it was a target range of people who were not making um, a while aside money for those who were there, um, who wanted to buy a, a small lot. So that was my target group. I, I never looked at um, high-income owners with that particular property. I, I knew that it was being for, for, I was looking at people with families, people who wanted a, a five to six thousand square foot um, lot, and um, those are people who actually end up buying all the lots. But you know, there are many people who believe that you cannot be running scared of not being able to meet your mortgage payments while at the same time thinking of. Well, how can I keep my prices as low as possible to help people? So it is possible then to do both. It is possible to do both, but I think it's about buying right. If you buy at the right price, then that allows you the flexibility to do that. Um, we had looked at several properties before, and while they were in great, great locations, the price would not have allowed me to be as flexible and target at the time I wanted to target. So I'd say if you're going to get into that space, like you, I think you always told me that as well. The first thing you do is you got to buy at the right price. I mean, that's when you have that's the only time. Out. That's the only time in the real estate process you have control. Only time is buying. At no other at the time do you have full control of the process. Correct. Only when you're buying, so you have to buy below market value. That's that's the number one rule in real estate, a property investing. Yeah. So 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 what was what was the average price of a lot, if you can recall, at the time? Um, I think we the, the, we sold it for sixty five to seventy thousand dollars. So wow. our lots range from I mean, we had two lots of five thousand, but everything else was around six to six and a half thousand. Um, but yeah, we, we didn't go much past ten dollars a square foot because I I, I also uh, had in mind that if people wanted to help, 
will also have access to limited funds. And the $70,000 will be an easy, uh, not easy, but less challenging mortgage to secure for some people in, in that. Right. Patience is not one of my, my, my virtues, but I'm, I've been trying to keep quiet and not ask this question. So I'm thinking numbers there, eh? and, I'm, and I'm wondering, okay, well, how many lots would you, would you have had to sold try to break even? And was that always at the forefront of your mind? When I, when I sell X number of lots, fill up my loan, and then the rest is gravy. What percentage of the lots would you have to sell uh, for you to break even? How, and how difficult was that? At the time, it was probably closer to 60% of it because what, I mean, the, the price of the, la the land wasn't horrible. I mean, it was expensive, it wasn't horrible, but the infrastructure cost um, yeah. is quite high. The road, the road is, Which you had no idea about before. Uh, you had no idea about well, no, infrastructure cost before. No, I didn't know you had to put the road in. I think I just put something and let it, let's put this drive and do it. But, so for all of our listeners um, and viewers, for all of our listeners and viewers, you do not buy land to, to develop and subdivide and not know your infrastructure costs. You have to know how much it costs to bring water, you have to know how much to bring electricity, and how much it costs to pay the roads and do any walls. You might have to even have to, have to do some water storage uh, based on where you are. There might be a requirement for you to do water storage. So, so, so that's why we have this podcast. So, Virgil, you will never do that again, right? Buy a piece of land to develop and not know what your infrastructure cost is going to be. No. So, I mean, I, the first one was a blessing in a sense because I, I made so many mistakes in the first one that it forced me to learn the right way to do things. And, I mean, a lot of it, I, I got to say, is because of people that, who in my life at the time were able to impact me and to guide me. Um, just Things just seemed to fall in place into almost like a guided, essentially. But after the first one, making the mistakes, learning, um, we, I think we're ready for another challenge, essentially. I would say that it's probably easier to do a smaller project, maybe buy something with one lot or two lots and, and go that way um, because it requires less from planning and um, less investment infrastructure. But I wouldn't have, I don't regret doing it. I mean, I, the amount that I, we learned and the, the lives that we, we knew were impacted, it was worth it. Uh, plus, plus you, you, you got some, some, some profit, some surplus. In, in addition to helping change lives, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Obviously, you you don't want to go into business and not make um, money. We, we right. actually use most of what we did to to reinvest into um, another development. We bought seven acres, pretty close to the first four acres, and uh, we used it for obviously for our family because there are things that we have three kids, so <laughs> they're expensive. Um, so we spent some of our money. Um, on, on some personal things, helping some people that, that are really, really close to us and dear to us. But we also took a big chunk of it and reinvested it by buying seven more acres to take on another challenge, which we're hoping to get started this year. And, and, and I, I don't want you to just run run so fast to the, to the next project. I, so some to, to our listeners right now, what are some of the the, the key points you know you want to you want to share in terms of anyone willing to start up right now? What are some of the things that they need to know? Um. I'd say if you're going to do land development, especially because it's the more problematic, I'd say, and more time-consuming, um, you need to have some patience. All right. So everything doesn't happen at your speed. Everything happens at the speed of the approvals, essentially. So you need to be able to to ride this out. If you're going to buy land for mortgage, you need to have make sure that you have enough finances to cover the repayments while you get um, the approvals in place. You are going to meet snags, it's almost inevitable that there's going to be something that's uh, going to pop up that you're going to have to handle. But also having the right engineer to design your project for you, um, that's very, very important. Um, 
just just having relationships. Because like I said, when we build a road for the first one, for instance, um, the estimated cost was, was quite high. And we had a, a neighbor who said, hey, I have some natural quarry ways that you're going to need for your road. Just come by. I have, a, I have an excavator. I'll dig it up. You take how many loads you want, and you pay me at the end. When it was all done, he's like, don't worry about it. Because because he saw what you were doing in the community. He saw you were so what I was doing. It was improving the area. Actually, he ended up yeah. buying two lots from me, actually three lots from me, which watered next to his home. Um, right. Because he, he, he was just happy that the area was no longer just bush. Um, it was turning into a, a small housing development. So for, for that, I'm also very thankful that he, he was able to help. But again, it just goes back to relationships. I mean, treat people well, respect people. You never know when you're going to need someone to help you out um, as you journey through life, essentially. And, and, and timelines. Just if you can remember, just ballpark, like how long did it take you after you start? You said one year for one year for approvals, right? How long did it take a, you? A year and a half, thereabout. To then a year and a half for the approvals. How long did it take you to, to break even? When you saw that lot, say, okay, finally, I, I don't I don't have a loan anymore. All right, so I'd say the first year and a half, obviously, we were, we were paying off, and then we sold the first five lots pretty quickly. I think we sold them within four or five months. Because I, I sold them about uh, about nine dollars at a time, because I wanted to get money in quickly to um, start the, the development of the infrastructure. Okay. The rest of the lot, we it probably took me I'd say another year to to break even as into get to a point where I could um, not worry about payments anymore because I had enough money sitting on the account and the loans were automatic. But then one day, I kind of like like you, I guess I had a moment where I realized, wait a minute. My interest is so much more money. Why on earth am I paying just the basic minimum? So I went to the bank and I was like, hey, I'd like to pay up the loan because there's enough money in the account now to do that. And I mean, they resisted me for about three months. There's a typical and, and penalty. Yeah, uh, there, there was a, yeah, there was a, a, a small thing, but to me it was worth it. Because at the end, sure. the amount that you saved in, in interest uh, with this, I mean, you, you, if you actually use the loan on my um, calculators, you realize that the interest alone sometimes could be quite high. So um, we paid that off, and we just took our time with the rest of it. Uh, we were in no rush. We had no loans now. We're like, we just sell um, as we go along. But we also travel a lot. My family, again, moved to the South Pacific, as you mentioned earlier. They just started with it four years in Papua New Guinea. And um, again, just being in places like that make me realize the importance of having financial literacy, um, just financial freedom as well. So I'll make sure my kids learn this early. Um, I'll make sure they understand that it's not just about going to, going to school, getting good grades, and as, as the book says, getting the job, but they also need to be able to um, support themselves through residual income. Um, even when you, like, like you, you have places I know that you're renting, and when you're sleeping, you're still, technically still making money. Correct. So I want to get my kids to a point where they can not have to worry about money so much, but also be in a place where they can better help themselves, their families, their communities, the islands. I love the Caribbean. So that is um, what is, is foremost for me, the freedom so you can be a blessing. So I always like to say, we're blessed to be a blessing. Well, Virgil, I, I, I mean, I, I couldn't have said better myself. Actually, I think you said better than, than, I, than I can ever. Um, uh, proud of you, uh, definitely proud of you. Um, and your, your, your example actually shows that, you know, the philosophy that, that, that we, we have, do good and you get good, is, is really true. Might not always happen, 
Um, but the fact that you thought about how you would price the lots for that particular area to help the community actually paid off because you didn't even know that someone living in the area was, in, was uh, the owner of uh, large excavation equipment, um, had quarries that you would eventually need to, to, to make a significant reduction in the cost of your infrastructure roads. And that happened. Yeah. Um, so I want to I wanna thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, I really hope that, that, that your story, or some of it, because you know, maybe we have to come back for part two, because you talk about this new development, which is seven acres. You know, you want to understand the thinking for that one. Uh, now that you know what, what, what are some of the challenges that you could potentially face from your first experience, certainly I know you will, le- you will learn from it. So to our listeners, we, we, we want to we thank you again for, for watching uh, and listening to, to episode two. Um, some of the key takeaways uh, for me from, 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 from Bergil's story um, is that, you know, for, for him, it was comfortable to live to, to, to invest close to, to where he lives, the community that he, he knew. Uh, but more than just making money, one of his objectives was to improve the lives of the people in that area by improving the infrastructure, giving them housing opportunities, which otherwise would not be available. $9 a square foot. I don't remember when was the last time I did that. Um, and it was just a couple of years ago um, he would have done that development. Um, some key... I guess key things to remember, um, you need to obviously know what your overall infrastructure costs. You need to know what's the, the demand, potential demand in that area, obviously, Burger News community, news community. You also need to know, have an idea of, of how long you think it would take you uh, to sell those lots based on your projected demand. So three years is a long time um, for a typical investor, but not necessarily in developmental circles, um, in the developmental, pro- in developmental process, because there are developers worldwide in the Caribbean, they'll tell you it might take two years, you know, to get approval for your own development. Um, so key takeaways, as we, as we said, you know, know your area, know comparables, know your costs, um, know your customer, um, and be, be prepared to have that delay and have some, some cash flow or some, some safe stash cash in the back. Uh, it helps to to get to have a father or a relative to to co-sign your loan, um, but in the end, you know, you give it back and you discipline, you committed, you know, it all comes comes together. Um, we're not saying that there will be challenges, but the most important uh, characteristic uh, that you must have as a property investor is dedication or commitment and sticking to it till the end. So, until next time, viewers, listeners, we want to thank you for watching the show again. You can get us on all major podcasts and platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Stitcher. Um, check us out on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on IG, and of course at property, CaribbeanPropertyInvesting.com. See you next week. Congratulations and thank you for tuning in to the Caribbean's first property investing podcast. We want to help Caribbean people create wealth and achieve financial freedom through property investing. Our show provides general advice based on personal experiences and is for educational purposes only. For more information, resources, and past episodes, visit us at CaribbeanPropertyInvesting.com. Remember to click the subscribe button so you never miss a show. Let's go.